If you'll open your Bibles to Isaiah 55, this is our Old Testament lesson for today. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13, which can be found on page 1150 in your pew Bibles. This one we do read (laughs) from time to time. It comes up again and again as uh, one of the prophecies from Isaiah Um, that is just so relevant um, to so many things. As we begin to read, though, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. God, we pray that you'd help us to receive your word as uh, rain falling on dry ground. God, that we would soak it in. God, that it would produce fruit in our lives. That it would not return um, empty, but accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. God, that through the reading and the hearing of your word, God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would be changed even more today, into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord. While he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briar, instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Turning into our gospel lesson, Matthew chapter thirteen, verses forty-four through forty-six. a short gospel lesson, but there's a lot in it. 
be found on page 1523 in your pew Bibles. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we think about that merchant, uh, or we finding the pearl, when we think about the man who found the treasure hidden in a field, I want you to think about the treasure and what that treasure is for you. And here's a good way to tell what that treasure is for you. Are you ready? Imagine that you are in a situation where, you know, it's like the whole, you find the lamp and you rub the lamp and the genie pops out and says, I'll grant you three wishes. Okay. Now, immediately, what are the things that come to mind? If you could have three wishes and you knew they would be granted, what are those wishes for you that you would wish for? And that right there is a pretty good clue as to what your treasure is. And I'm guessing if you're taking this seriously and have already started thinking, what would I wish for? I'm guessing probably... Even in a room this size, nobody mentioned suffering. Anybody mentioned suffering? Is that one of the things you'd wish for? (laughs) In that case, please pay attention today. (laughs) Because Paul is going to give us some of the things that he is wishing for, that he is longing for, that he wants. And one of the things that he mentions is suffering. And you go, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) That seems like one of the things that you get that you don't want. You don't want any part of it. And in fact, if you got a wish while you were in the middle of suffering, your wish would be that the suffering be ended. That you wouldn't be going through the suffering, right? And yet what Paul says is that he does want suffering. But um, there's a reason for that. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, which is found on page 1825 in your pew Bibles. And uh, we've got to set the stage a little bit here as far as what, <laughs> where Paul is, who he's writing to, what this is about in this letter of Philippians. Um, this is a short but very, very uh, densely packed letter that uh, Paul has written to the church in Philippi. Paul, who had been known as Saul in the Hebrew communities, was going around and persecuting the church. He was the one who was going around finding people who were Christians, finding people who were following Jesus so that he could have them either arrested, jailed, tortured, killed, that kind of thing. Until he meets Jesus and he becomes a changed person. And at this point, the one who was persecuting the church becomes the one who's being persecuted as part of the church. And as he goes around, he's planting churches everywhere he goes telling people about Jesus, the Jesus who changed his life and who could change theirs. And as he goes around uh, planting these churches, one of the places that he goes is Philippi. The reason he ends up in Philippi is not because he wanted to go there, but because God had called him there specifically. He had tried going one place after another, and it's like God was closing these doors everywhere he would go. And right at the point where we're thinking, maybe just give up and go home. I don't know. (laughs) At that point, he has this vision of someone from Macedonia saying, come help us. 
And so he goes to Macedonia and says, this is where God is calling us to go. And when he goes there, he ends up in Philippi and he meets people where he tells them about Jesus and they actually start a church. Now, the church actually begins with a, um, with a jailer as one of, the first, um, one of the first Christians in the area because Paul gets thrown in jail in Philippi. He talks to the jailer and his family about Jesus. He becomes Christian. The family becomes Christian. And this church begins. Well, years later, as Paul has continued traveling around and telling people about Jesus, he ends up in Rome. And in Rome, he's in the same kind of situation where he's been telling people about Jesus, and this has gotten him thrown in prison. And now from prison, the uh, Philippians, while Paul is in prison in Rome, they send Epaphroditus, a guy to bring some gifts, to take care of his needs. And Paul says, all right, I'm going to send you back, and I want to send you back with a letter. That's what Philippians is, is this letter that Paul is sending from, Philippian, or from Rome, from, from prison in Rome, to the church in Philippi. And he's saying several things in this letter. One of, thank you <laughs> for, for sending him, for taking care of my needs. But uh, the main kind of thing he's saying is, this is what I'm experiencing, which may not be what you're expecting from me when I'm in prison. This is what I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing joy in the Lord, even in prison. And he goes through his reasons why that is. And then he says, and here's what I want for you. And it's to have joy in the Lord, whatever your circumstances are. And so all of it then is centered around who Jesus is, what he has done. And, um, and so we saw that in chapter two, as he goes on about who Jesus is and how the way we just read in Isaiah, you know, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're so much higher and better. And, uh, and as you look at how Jesus lived in the way that he gave up his rights for the good of others. So that's not our way. That's not our way. And yet, Paul's saying, but that is the right way. That is his way. That, and, he is, and his ways are higher and better. And so that's where uh, we have been in this letter so far. As Paul says, I'm able to rejoice no matter what because I see how Jesus is at work in the midst of all of it. And here's what I want for you the same kind of thing, for you to be able to have joy in everything. And now he picks that up again in chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, where he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He said that before. But it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But... Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right. Let's go back through this a little slower. So you hear what Paul is saying. He says, uh, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again? <laughs> and as a safeguard for you. I love that. But Paul's like, look, I'll repeat myself as much as I need to, if that's, if that's what it takes uh, for you to get it. I've heard that it, people need to be reminded of something like nine times before they actually remember it and commit it to memory. I don't remember where I heard that, but apparently someone told me that nine times at some point. Anyway... <laughs> But I love that Paul is willing to just repeat himself if that's what they need. He says, look, that's no, no trouble for me. And uh, as a good preacher, I don't mind repeating myself either, <laughs> as you've noticed. And um, he says, and it's, but it's a safeguard for you. And what is it that he's repeated himself about? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Keep that in mind. There's a reason he has to repeat this through this letter. Rejoice in the Lord in the Lord. Because our temptation, of course, is to rejoice in our circumstances and not in the Lord. And so when things are going well, we rejoice. And when things are not going well, we don't rejoice. But one of the things that Paul is on again and again and again is rejoice not in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord, whatever the circumstances. And that's a very different thing. And that's why he has to repeat that (laughs) over and over. He'll come back to that more in this letter as well. So he says, it's a safeguard for you. And he says, now watch out. These dogs, these evildoers, evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh, what's he talking about? He's talking about the people who were doing exactly what he was doing before. Those people who are the persecutors of the church, but not just because they are the ones, when it talks about mutilators of the flesh, not just those who are torturing people. He's talking about the people who are insisting on physical circumcision. And saying, no, 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 if you really want to be a part of what God is doing, read your Old Testament. It says you have to be circumcised, so you've got to do that. And Paul says, no. No, that's not what this is about. Listen, he says, it is we who are the circumcision. What? This is we who are the circumcision. In other words, it's not about what uh, physical signs you have. It's what's going on, on the inside. Not what's going on, on the outside, what's going on, on the inside. And so he says, uh, it's about this circumcision of the heart. It's not that you have changed your physical appearance. It's that you have had a change of heart. And says, we are those who have had that. That's what God has been after from the very beginning. And if you actually read through the the whole Old Testament, you'll see that that is what God has been promising from the very beginning. That's what circumcision was always even pointing to. And so to go back to that alone is going backwards. It says, we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit and who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Listen, when he says, um, put no confidence in the flesh, there's kind of a double meaning there. 
One is this putting confidence in the, hey, I've been circumcised. There you go. Done. <laughs> what God has required, I have done, and there's nothing else I need to worry about. He says, no, no, no. Don't put your confidence in any outward sign. Don't put your confidence in the flesh like that. But also, there's another sense, and don't put your confidence in anything that you're doing. Don't put your confidence in your own performance or behavior as though you could somehow earn your way into heaven. So you can earn your way into a relationship with God. That's not how it works. And so he says, don't put your confidence in the flesh. He says, and if, if anybody thinks they can put confidence in the flesh, or if they have reasons for that, he says, look, I've got more. And then he goes through his resume, which may not mean a whole lot to us because of the way that we do our resumes today and the way they did theirs then. The kinds of things that he puts on his, we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. But the kinds of things he puts on there would have been a really big deal for anyone uh, in Israel at the time. And so he says, look, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Go ahead. Check your Old Testament. You'll see that that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Then he says, I was, um, not that that's anything he did, but, you know, whatever. Uh, he says, uh, he's of the people of Israel. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And here he is saying, I was born into the right family, and they did it the right way. I can trace my genealogy. We've seen in our Wednesday night Bible study how when people were coming back from exile, it was a really big deal that they'd be able to trace their ancestry to be able to prove I am really an Israelite. And Paul says, I can do that. And this just comes from how I was born. I was born the right way. I was born the right kind of person into the right kind of family. I was born into the people of God. And so just from day one, I was already, you know, there. And he says, but it's not just how I was born. Listen to how I lived then. He says, uh, I lost my place. Ah, Hebrew of Hebrews. This is verse five. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees knew, their, you do not want to get into a Bible trivia competition with a Pharisee. They know their Bibles. They know all the laws. And he says, so it's not that I didn't know it. I knew it all. And then he says, but it's not just that I knew it and wasn't passionate about it. He says, look, as for zeal, persecuting the church. I'm going to put that right there on my resume. <laughs> that I was one who didn't just know this stuff, but if I thought that anybody else was going against it, I was out to get them. I was going after these people because I cared so much about the law of God. I was passionate about it, not just knowing it intellectually. I was passionate about it. As for zeal, persecuting the church, and then as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, I didn't didn't just know it. I wasn't just passionate about it. I was actually living it. I was doing all the things that I understood this to be saying to do. And so anybody, he says, anybody, If you want to put your kind of spiritual resume up against me, go for it. I was at the top of the top. But, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This sentence right here has the power to change your life. Paul had been living from the time he was born to build this resume. That had been the direction of his life from infancy, is building this resume. And he had done it. (laughs) 
He had achieved what he was going after, and he was, he was doing it. And he says, and yet, I consider all loss for the sake of Christ. Because when he met Jesus, what he realized is all the things that he had been doing, all the ways that he had been building this resume had not gotten him closer to Jesus, but was taking him farther away from Jesus. That might sound familiar to you. When we asked earlier, you know, what is you would wish for and that would show you what your treasure is, let me tell you, if your treasure is something besides Jesus, it's probably taking you away from him instead of toward him. And if it's taking you away from him instead of toward him, let me read this sentence to you again. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And what has Paul lost? Well, what had his resume gotten him? It had gotten him good standing in his community of Israel. He had letters from the chief priests to go to Damascus to round up Christians there. I mean, he was in close with the people who were the highest up. Everybody respected this guy. He was one of those young, up-and-coming people. Everybody looked to him. This is the guy. And when he becomes a Christian, what happens to that? Nobody wants anything to do with him. In fact, when he first becomes a Christian, the people he used to hang out with, they don't want to hang out with him anymore. He's a traitor. But at the same time, the people that he is uh, now associating with or wanting to associate with, he's a Christian. He's one of them. They don't want to associate with him either because... He used to be on the other side. They don't trust him yet. And so when he uh, becomes a Christian, when he begins to follow Jesus, he loses everything that he has by way of status in the community, by way of relationships with other people. He ends up having to leave his home where he had lived, and he ends up traveling all over the world, ends up not only (laughs) going far from home, but ending up in a prison in Rome, and that's not even the first prison he's been in. This guy has lost everything. He's in a prison where somebody else is having to bring him supplies because he has nothing to even stay alive while he's there. He has lost everything. And what he's saying here, and this is what's important, is it's been absolutely worth it. All of that stuff, you put it on one side of the scale, and you put knowing Jesus on the other side of the scale, and it's no contest. Jesus is worth so much more. And so he says, yes, I've lost everything, and I'm okay with that. Because all the things that I lost were the things that now I see didn't really matter. But what I've gained is what really matters. Let me continue. Because what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. It's a little bit censored from what he really writes, but we'll anyway, leave that alone for now. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's what he'd been building before. He says, no but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. This is where he gets into his wish list. Paul, what is it you want? I want to know Christ. That's what I want. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And what Paul is saying here is everybody has this idea of, you know, oh, if there was a, a fountain of youth, if there was some sort of uh, secret of immortality. And there are all these legends. And Paul says, I found it. I have found it, and it's in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one person who death could not stop him. Everyone dies, and yet Jesus, when he dies, rises again to new life. And I said, you can share in this with me. And Paul says, I want to know that. <laughs> I want to know Jesus in such a way that I would participate in his sufferings, understanding what he already has said in chapter 2, that the way that Jesus lived is so different than the way that we live. And the way that Jesus is raised to life is not because, goes to eternal life, is not because he just goes on living and never dies, which is usually how the stories go. But his ways are not our ways. He goes through death. He goes through suffering. And Paul says, if that's the way that we go, I trust him. I trust his way is the right way. And I want to join up with him. And if that means joining up in suffering, then I will join up in suffering. If that means joining in death, then I will join in death. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him, not like everybody else, but becoming like him in his death. So somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And this last little paragraph here, and that's, that's the main point. You get that right there. That's it. The last paragraph, though, is saying, please don't think that I'm already there. Yes, I'm the one writing this letter, this letter that eventually becomes a part of our Bibles that we're reading even today. But he says, don't think that I'm there yet. Because this race isn't over for me yet either. As long as we are still alive in this body, the race is not over. And so just like as I was sharing in the children's sermon of the kid who <laughs> runs out ahead of the race just so he can get his picture in front, don't be that kid. <laughs> Paul, Paul says, I'm still running. I'm in prison in Rome. But I'm not dead yet. And so I continue. Uh, and how does he continue? By keeping his trajectory in the right direction. It's not that I've already, arrived, I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Two more illustrations about what this uh, called to mind for us. One is the people who God brought out of slavery in Egypt. Do you remember this? They come out of slavery in Egypt, and they end up in this wilderness, and things get hard. And when things get hard, what do they do? They complain and complain. They whine and they grumble, and they look backwards constantly. And they say, oh, if only we were in Egypt again, where things were so great. But they weren't great. That's why God had brought them out. They'd been praying how bad things were there. God, will you please deliver us? And he does. And they're like, well, it was better than this. 
And he says, but I'm actually have, I do actually have good before you. Stay with me. I'm leading you to something good. I didn't rescue you out of there for nothing. Um, and so he says, you know, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. And this is where I had left this little trophy up there as a reminder of the prize. What is the prize? And this is where the uh, picture we have on the bulletin cover of a wedding is helpful. A wedding is one of the images that we see throughout uh, the New Testament as well. This is, our, I, I will just tell you, our culture, modern day American society, we have gotten marriage wrong in about every way you can, but there's one, one way in which kind of our common uh, cultural narrative gets it right, and that is this. We don't seem to think it's a good idea to marry for money, right? You see that around, and people say, oh, you should not do that. We don't think it's a very good idea to have um, kind of this a forced marriage or an arranged marriage. We say, no, no, we don't want to do that. And so what is it that we think is the right reason to get married? You guys know it. What is it? Love. Yes, we want to get married for love. Now, we twist that into all sorts of things that get it all wrong too. But the idea that we marry for love is a good one, and here's why. Because if you are marrying for money, the prize is the money. If you are marrying for uh, societal pressure of some reason, then the prize is dealing with that, er, getting the praise, etc., from other people. If you are marrying for love, what is the prize? The prize is the relationship. That's it. <laughs> That's what, you, that's what you win. You get married for the relationship. And this is where I think we get it right to that degree anyway, as much as we understand that. That when Paul is talking about pressing on toward the goal to win the prize, the prize isn't a trophy. The prize isn't a paycheck. The prize isn't respect and standing in his community. The prize is the relationship. To press on to win the prize for which God has called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is uh, the trajectory of his life. This is why he's able to say, forgetting what is behind. This is why I can look at that whole resume I've been building my whole life and say, I'm done with that. I'm not going back to that. I'm going forward to a life with Jesus now and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.